0: Hello. Uh, I've tried to start this podcast four separate times, and I am boiling. I'm actually boiling from, from 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 starting a podcast. It's like my adrenaline spikes and then dips and then spikes and then dips. I'm, I'm hot. I feel very hot, I'm humid. I once tried to uh, when I when I used to work as a critic. I once tried to uh, review a comedy show. Where for three quarters of the 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 uh, review, I spoke about um, feeling clammy about the temperature of the room. Uh, basically, I I I I spoke about everything outside of the, uh, the 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 frame of what I was supposed to be critiquing, which was the the show. Uh, I've been reading a book at the moment called... Sorry, my, my energy levels were up on the... I, I chipped into... A, there's two people... Actually, I'm part of an email tra- chain. And they're having a bit of a tense discussion about um, different bureaucratic needs. And one of them said, how do we get on the same page? How do we square this circle? And I chipped in uh, with, uh, you, ca- you can't square a circle because then it'll become a square. You knobhead. You square a circle, mate. What does it become? It becomes a bloody square. can't square a circle, mate. Two different things. You square a circle, mate. Then it becomes a bloody square. You know, just light humour. Just mild. Um, tr- tr- really trying to cement my status as the the, the, the funny boy of the group. Um, and, I mean, that's the, the main reason for doing things we operate under the pretense that we 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 we're, we're trying to do things to build a community or help other people but really it's a matter of building a community that where you're the center of gravity and the community sort of warps around you like con- like a convex the community that you are the totem, you are the figurehead, you are the Godhead. You're the cult leader of that community. And, and that, so it's not like holocratic or, um, there's no centralized power, but you pretend there is, you pretend everyone's got free will. You know, you'll say, you'll say, yeah, it's fine. We, we can do what we actually on the subject of free will. One sec. I, um, I've, I've been speaking for nearly three minutes now and I have no idea what I've said, but I'm reading this book as well called Filling the Void, Emotion, Capitalism and Social Media. And it dispels a, a myth, a sort of a technological determinism, which they say is typical of how technologies are often discussed and understood as their usage changes gear from early adopters to more mainstream usage. And they said with the technologically deterministic outlet is to believe that technolo- technology can somehow induce or suppress our behavior as though we have no control. And this is my uh, opinion on uh, free speech. Is I say, with, you can't, you can't use speech to totally change someone's mind or someone's behavior. It's like rather you know rather than speculating about what it is that technology for instance makes us feel or do, we should do well to ask to start asking what it is in us that makes us find any given technology appealing or with regards to this free speech and speech, what it is about uh radical speech militant speech that we find appealing Like i don't think you can radicalize someone who hasn't already got a propensity to to take on those beliefs or find something relatable within the uh the the you know kind of ugly rhetoric you're espousing and, yeah, in this other book I'm reading called The Care Manifesto, The Politics of Interdependence, it's a great book um, by the Care Collective, Verso Books. It says, meanwhile, this is back, going back to care now. Let's, let's pivot, okay? I don't know what all that was. Got a bit digressionary, a bit um, tangential. This is the problem I have to uh, get reined in sometimes because otherwise I just blather. And... I need to know if this podcast is worth your time. I mean, do people, do people, what are people's, what's people's v- feedback? I mean, I've got that. I mean, I get the the, the, the listeners. I get loads. So it's always a bit of a, a, a huge uptick on listeners when the lovely bloke Stuart Lee. Promotes the uh, show, but um, and there's some people who regularly uh, Twitter me, who are lovely, lo- lovely selection of people, and tell me their their thoughts and what they enjoyed and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, I would give me some criticism. I remember someone from Towie, uh, me and her had like a bit of a beef online, and she got her, I don't know, fifty k followers to find pictures of me on the internet and post them up so that uh, people could judge my face. And someone once said I had a diagonal face. Oh yeah, I said this on the last podcast. And we all kind of knew what they meant. Like I can see it, but I I can't, I don't know why I, I can see that I've got a diagonal face. Oh, I think my blood sugar's low. Yeah, my blood sugar's low. I've got no wonky. One sec. Oh, all right. Let's, let's push through. So in the care manifesto, it said, Meanwhile, multinational corporations have been making huge profits out of financializing and over-leveraging care homes while work in the care sector was subsumed into the corporate gig economy making precarious workers not only more numerous but also hugely overstretched vulnerable and thus less able to work i got asked to um i got commissioned to to write an article about comedy and care work and the uh, the article should be coming out but I'll, I'll read i'll read a bit of it now uh, the bit of it that that pertains to 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 that uh trying to find it sorry so carers are physically and mentally fatigued actually this every minor infraction so uh, uh the problem is relational interdependence teamwork community they're eroded by low morale critical staff shortages and unscrupulous profiteering Staff are subjected to long, grueling hours. I'd regularly do back-to-back 14-hour shifts. And if you're two staff down, again, a regular occurrence due to high rates of burnout and staff sickness, you'd be pressured to sacrifice your breaks. And where you're deprived of this respite, a moment to curl up inside yourself, away from the cacophony of alarms and shouts, there's a constant tension bubbling under the surface. Your patience has diminished every minor infraction from other staff members or interruptions the smooth running of the shift adds to a growing irritability that you must always suppress. It's like the job, a job that's main function is to preserve the welfare of others, is designed to attenuate your own. Carers are physically and mentally fatigued and those who are task oriented and work to get the job done as quickly as possible are rewarded for this this way working reduces a human being, the people we're supposed to be caring for, to a unit of raw, brute material to be shifted from one place to another, to be checked and inventoried. Productivity is is normally defined in terms of this raw material, the transformation of nature by human effort and toil into useful objects. So within the context of care work, This can lead to A, the objectification of residents, turning them into potted plants that need to be fed and kept out of direct sunlight. Or B, the undervaluing of care work because its effects aren't palpable. They're people, not useful objects. So why is it a useful vocation? That question is never truly answered by management, by directors, other than a few platitudes and just nods to celebrating lives or providing nourishment and hydration. Always fucking nourishment and hydration. understand that they need this stuff. Of course they do. It's a medical necessity. It's a necessity to life. But um, what about the prosaic uplift of getting to know a person, of becoming enmeshed in their life? or a source of comfort to them. But the Randian idea of a productive life, one that's steered by private owners who decide what to create, consume, or trade, will never sit comfortably with a job where you're not doing any of those things. To give you a brief example of how undervalued it is, in Edinburgh, I appeared in comedian Phil Ellis's show Au Revoir. I had to dress up as a clown, pretend to suck off a trombone, and then get shot in the head. I was paid £2.50, Two pound eighty more per hour doing this and keeping an elderly person alive. So there's a liberation uh, to to something like a dishonored, uh, sort of slack, having a slack, dishonored body and mind could be considered a form of liberation. Like I've got that sort of cancel myself out sexually, it's like a slow potatoing. Like well, I I'm. Like, you become a potato. Old people are potatoing. It's weird. It's weird that potatoes sprout and flower. Like, they grow out of, like, a potato plant. Like, a potato is something you just expect to find in... at the bottom of a wardrobe. That's how I feel about myself and some of the people I care for. They're just like mass that you expect to just find squatting at the bottom of a wardrobe. That's my look that's my look at the moment. That's what I'm going for. It's chic. Chick. It's chicken. Chicken and potato. So the archetypal neoliberal subject is the entrepreneurial individual whose only relationship to other people is competitive self-enhancement. Every comedian, including myself. The thing is, Oxford. There's people, right? There's Oxford, Oxbridge uh, graduates in comedy who give a sort of dutiful nod to hiring people. These Oxbridge graduates give a dutiful nod to hiring work people with a working class background or different. Uh, ethnic background and they're the ones these white oxbridge who are taking up valuable space in a rioters room why don't they offer their fucking seat they're taking up valuable space and giving a a tokenistic nod to diversity hires but they're the ones taking up fucking valuable space there's a finite amount of roles within rioters room and you have plonked in there, taking up fucking space. Hate this shit. Like someone saying, we really must do something about this smell while wafting their belly button breath around the room during this speech. Belly button breath. You get your accumulation of uh, fluid, sweat. Got big sweaty belly button. You got a deep belly button. You got a deep fucking pit belly button smell. And imagine that coming out of someone's mouth. Man they got a breath that smells like belly buttons what they're doing and they're wafting it everywhere all over the place but while they're they're wafting it while delivering a speech saying how we must get rid of this belly button breath because this is a hostile work environment at this point got fucking belly button smell everywhere have you smelled this everywhere it is everywhere it's like this whole room it's a deep fat belly button no getting out of this we're in it we're totally immersed in fucking belly button breath we need to do something about it and you're the source of the belly button breath trisha you're the source of the belly button breath you know what you could do you can do something about it pop a mint that's a mouthwash why does it smell up? Like belly are you licking out your own belly button are you licking out your own belly button? Because I will not work with someone who is licking out their own belly button. I'm a man of conservative tastes. I don't appreciate being a working but that's yet yeah, it does, it annoys me. Conditional facile words that signal nothing but their own view of themselves as an inclusive person. Oh. I think as well, like these people will actually end up holding back people with working class backgrounds, people with different ethnic backgrounds, because empty, shallow tokenism is them. Addressing systemic racism in in quotation marks, rather than following through with and through with meaningful acts of dissent, that they, they will think that's my job done. I've I've sent that tweet out. I said we need uh, more 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 diverse voices within comedy within writers' uh, rooms. That's them um, addressing systemic racism. It turns into sort of white condescending writers disentangling the racism of other white writers and saying that they know better rather than scrutinising their position within a white power structure, acknowledging that they're a roadblock that prevents sort of black Asian talent from progressing. You have to acknowledge that. But when my time comes to actually hold one of these jobs, I will not be getting bummed out by acknowledging the fact that I'm potentially depriving someone else uh, of, of 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 climbing up the ladder. I'm, not, I'm I'm enjoying myself, having a good time. Now we got rid of Trish with her belly button stank. Now I'm in the writers' room. I'm 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 kind of the, the the kind of fun kind of crude working class voice amongst the Oxbridge graduates, and they they like it, they like it. Things it lends them a bit of authenticity, you know. I come in and go, all right, love, fucking whop your muff on the table, boy. Where's your dingleberry? Oh, nice foreskin. It's kind of crude and uh, like ra- r- rabble Asian, like ra- rab- not r- not rabble. I'm not calling Asian people rabble. Rabelais, or is it R- He's a writer. He used to write, Bathkin wrote things thing Rabelais in his world, and it's about the carnivalesque and, and uh, body grotesquery. And then the Oxford graduates would go, You, mate, you're a fucking dumb, dumb working class boy, but you ain't as dumb as you seem. You sound dumb. You've got a voice of a, you kind of got a blobby voice. Of a dumb cunt, but you you read a bit of Bathkin. Good on you, mate. Good on you. You're playing against type, and I really like that here. But yeah, I I won't acknowledge the the fact that I'm I'm a, a, a potential roadblock at that moment because I just I you know I I worked very hard to get there. In in my imagination, in the future where I am invited the table so anyway, so I've i worked very hard to get here yeah we all we all work hard but when you meet someone or you meet them again they don't remember meeting the first time and then they say something like oh you know I, 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 I meet a lot of people we all meet a lot of people we're well full of them uh, oh I could apologise for that, but uh, it's actually against my my ethos of um, of, uh, of of full disclosure, and that includes disclosing burps. And you can't hold me back on working class. This is what we do. We burp directly into your ears. That's what we do as working class people. You know, this is this is this is what this is what you hired me for, mate. To bring a bit of that to the table. If I want to vomit in your ear, that's that's my right, and you can't take that away from me as a working class person. Who was it? Someone wrote about that on uh, where well, they said working class people use that as like a as like a, a like a badge of honour and a catchall. Uh, excuse for 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 certain uh behaviors I can't remember I think I mean I I do I definitely do that you if I want to talk about wh- whopping muff and whopping dick then that's the you know the, uh, that's the that's the barrel way gutter snipe way to what we do. No, I'm not Barrow Boy. This podcast has been um has been uh peaks and troughs, I think. Peaks and troughs. And we'll end on attaining what we seek is always underwhelming. Because the ultimate province of meaning is the flow of generativity and fertility, the drive, the motion towards attainment, which is why all success is underwhelming. Because it's the road to success that is the most uh, fertile, exciting part of it. And I say that as someone who hasn't had success yet, so it's kind of, it's, it's, it's always fucking road at the moment, and I'm fine with that because that's the good part, you know. I'm fine with not having, I, I did the BBC audition, didn't get it. Don't worry, mate, it's fun. It's fun just to do it. That's just the, you know, the road. That was just the, the road of 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 doing a, you know, midday Zoom yeah. Conference call to 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 see, you know six people. There's a point where I kneeled down on my bedroom floor and accidentally kneeled on a, on a on a on a Diet Coke can and cut my knee. And that that's the road to success. That's the that's the fun, electric part of uh, being a creative. <laughs> this this podcast, man. This one's been a oh, it's been a fine. This is you know. You know com- It's fine. I'm 1000% fine.